How do you put a baby astronaut to sleep? You rock it. Get it? <laughs> uh, I thought it was funny. I thought it was funnier than what you guys are giving me, but whatever. Hey, uh, I actually saw that yesterday, uh, and I was like, hey, this is perfect. I sent it to Kelsey. She didn't laugh as hard as I did, but that's, I'm, I'm, that's, that's me. I like dry humor. Anyways, we're going to get into the word. Everybody at 2 Samuel? Yes? All right. Hey, uh, how many times do we have good intentions, and we, we, we want to do good things, we want to do the right thing, but we don't necessarily do it the right way? I'll tell you a time for myself personally is oftentimes, transparently, it's how I communicate. Um, my intentions always are good, and, uh, and, and they're good, but especially when I'm having what I call crucial conversations, which I think in my life, I, I learned that concept a few years back, and I'm like, oh, okay, now I know. Like, these, are cru- these conversations have to happen, or else this friendship, this relationship, this, this partnership, whatever it is, it, it's not going to work. Um, and it's not just in crucial conversations, really a lot of conversations, but for me, it's, it's mainly these, and, and they're a necessity uh, in my life. But I, if, if you don't know me, if you don't know it, I'm, I'm pretty direct. I don't beat around the bush. I, I just like, I see, the, I see the finish line, I go, I get there, and then we'll figure out all the emotions and feelings and everything out after, afterwards. Uh, because generally, what I've realized, unfortunately, is it's not every conversation. I'm not going to sit here and say that this happens all the time, but oftentimes there are conversations where I have where I'm very direct and I just get, I just get right to it. And then there's a lot of emotions and feelings from the other end that I didn't take into consideration because I'm just like, this has to be said. Like, I have to, I have to get there. I have to do this. Um, so it's, it's about doing the right thing. So I, I, in my heart, I'm doing the right thing. I'm doing a good thing for accountability purposes or, or whatever else. But I just went about it the wrong way. And I, whether, whether it's on Facebook or, or in person, um, I just... I just choose to, to get right to the point, and, and I don't think about what other people feel. Um, I, I'll be honest, my spiritual gifts, mercy is my lowest. And I say that not to brag. It's, I know, you're like, well, pastor doesn't have mercy? That's kind of bizarre. Yes, I know it's bizarre, but that is a constant prayer of mine. Lord, soften my heart. Lord, help me, like the mercy and the grace that you've, you've given me, Lord, help me to also give that to others and, and extend that to those, not just those that I love, but those that I don't even know, those that, those that I have no relation with, those who are standing on the opposite side of things. Help me to have that mercy and that grace. Um, but those are, those are oftentimes those types of conversations for me. That's my example. But what is, what is your story? What is a time... Think of a time that maybe you've had and you've done the right thing, but maybe you've just done it the wrong way. And that's the title of my message today. Oh, there we go. Doing the right thing the wrong way. And we're going to see all this in 2 Samuel chapter 6. Verse 1 is where we're going to begin. Verse 1, now David again gathered all the chosen men of Israel, 30,000. And David arose and he went with all the people who were with him to Baal Judah. To bring, him, uh, to bring up from there the ark of God, which is called by the name, the very name of the Lord of hosts, who is enthroned above the cherubim. So, what are we seeing here? David, he, he gathers so many of his best soldiers, might we add, the best soldiers, because bringing the ark to Jerusalem, to Jerusalem was an, an, an important step for him. It was an important step towards providing a central place of worship for all of Israel. 
This was also known as, we say, Ark of God here. I'm reading from New American Standard uh, 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 translation, but we can also see it as the Ark of the Covenants. Um, which, which this is which God commanded Moses to make more than 400 years prior to David's time. It was, it was a wood box. So the word, the ark, so we know Noah and the ark. Uh, so you can take context. Ark means wood or chest. So uh, the ark of God is, is, is basically a box or a chest. And it, it's completely covered, completely covered with gold. Uh, and it has uh, ornate gold lip or, or top that's known as the mercy seat. And we'll get more into that a little bit later in this, in this message. But the ark of God, it was three feet, nine inches long. Uh, two feet, three inches wide, and two feet, three inches high. In it were the tablets of the law that Moses brought down from Mount Sinai, uh, a jar of manna, and Aaron's rod that miraculously budded as confirmation of his leadership. And we see the Lord of hosts who is enthroned above the cherubim. We see this right here in the text. The, the ark of God here is, is represented, uh, it represented the immediate presence and glory of God in Israel. David considered it a high like the highest priority for him to bring the ark out of obscurity and back into prominence. David wanted Israel to be alive with the sense of uh, the, the near presence and glory of God. The last mention that we've had in the ark of God up to this point was all the way back, uh, and it came back from the land of the Philistines in 1 Samuel chapter 7. And it sat at the house of Abinadab for 20 years. And David, he had a great motive to emphasize the presence and glory of God in Israel. And we continue on in verse 3. They placed the ark of God on a new cart that they, might bring, that they might bring it from the house of Abinadab, which was on the hill. And Uzzah and Ahio, the sons of Abinadab, were leading the new cart. So they brought it with the ark of God from the house of Abinadab, which was on the hill. And Ahio, and Ahio was walking ahead of the ark. Meanwhile, David and all the house of Israel were celebrating before the Lord with all kinds of instruments, made of fir wood and with lyres, harps, tambourines, castanets, and cymbals. They set the ark of God on a new cart. So in their mind, they're thinking, it's a new cart. Like, this is, this is good. Like, uh, you know, this will bring glory. This will, you know, this is how we can glorify God. We'll put it on a new cart. Um, but transporting the ark on a cart in general was against God's specific command. And the ark was designed to be carried. We see this in Exodus 25. Exodus 25, you shall cast four gold rings. This is kind of the description of the ark here. You should cast four gold rings for it and fasten them on its four feet. And two rings shall be on one side of it and two rings on the other side of it. You shall make poles of acacia wood and overlay them with gold. You shall put the poles into the rings on the sides of the ark to carry the ark with them. The poles shall remain in the rings of the ark, and they shall not be removed from it. So this is basically, I mean, you could, you could kind of reference it to a casket of some sort. They, they got, when, you're, when you got pallbearers, they got the poles on the side, that, and it's fastened to it. It's kind of like that. It's just a little bit smaller, obviously, um, of the dimensions that I shared with you. So that shows us how... Um, it should be carried, and, and it was only to be carried by the Levites of the family of Kohath, which in Numbers 4.15 here, I'm going to show you that when Aaron and his sons have finished covering the holy objects and all the furnishings of the sanctuary, when the camp is to set out, after that the sons of Kohath shall come to carry, uh, shall come to carry them, so that 
they will not touch the holy objects and die. These are the things in the tent of meeting, which was the sons of Kohath are to carry. Okay? This is the word. Like, this is, this is already set in place. They know this. This was, you know, this was, uh, it's not, everybody knows what happens with the ark. Like, David knows, but what we get into here is that God wanted the ark to be carried because he wanted nothing mechanical about the ark representing his presence. And we can imagine what these men thought. Look, hey, look, we got a new cart. We're going you know, to carry the ark of God in this, and, and God will be very pleased by our fancy cart. They thought that new technology or luxury of some sort could cover over their ignorant disobedience. And there was a commentary as I was reading in preparation. It says, we want God's presence very much, don't we? But we like to hitch his presence to some of our new carts. We like to add him to our list of organizations, to load him on top of the mechanics of a busy life, and then drive. How much of our service is really in the energy of flesh? Makes me wonder. So often we put forth our hands, but not our hearts. And John Wesley puts it like this. It is not new things that we need, but new fire. The Philistines transported the ark on a cart in 1 Samuel 6. And they got away with it because, well, they were Philistines. They, like, they were against God. They've, they have been and always will be basically up to this point. And we see this. So ultimately God expects and, and, and expected more from his people. The Israelites were to take their example from God's word, not from the innovation of the Philistines. It's like, hey, I gave you your word. Like, this is my word. It, it's never changing. So it, that, that means that it still remains true. But they look at the Philistines. Oh, the Philistines did it. We can do it. Well, the Philistines were crazy. They're nuts. Um, and you should not learn from them. It's kind of like looking at all the woke corporations these days, and you're like, oh, I'm going to do that. Because I see their stock prices dropping and everything. Because everybody's like, I ain't about that woke nonsense. And that's kind of what's happening here. They're like, oh, I'm going to go. I'm going to go. That's like me going to buy Bud Light at Target. That'd be stupid. Uh, sorry. <laughs> no, I'm really not, actually. <laughs> I don't even know why I apologize. But that'd be like, I mean, it's the same concept, guys. It, it really is. They said, I'm going to go do what the Philistines did. No, okay? And we're going to see what happens through this. Uzzah and Ohio, the sons of Abinadab. And the meaning of these names of the sons paint a meaningful picture. Uzzah means strength, and Ohio means friendly. And much service for the Lord is like this. A new cart, a big production, with strength leading, and a friendly image presented out front. Yet all done without inquiring of God or looking to his will. That'd be like, let's put it in perspective. Coming here to church, we're putting on, say, Oh, it's a, it's a new church. We're going to put on a big production. We got, say, VBS coming. We have the strength behind it. And then we put it, all these friendly faces out front, welcoming people in. But what if we didn't inquire of the Lord before? What if we're not coming and surrendering and submitting all that's going to take place in this house before him? I mean, that's just a perspective. Now, we don't do that. We inquire of the Lord all the time, not just Saturday mornings. I mean, we got, we're, guys, we, we're, we're praying, we're going before the Lord every single day because we recognize the importance of it. Surely David prayed for God's blessing on this big production, but he didn't 
inquire of God regarding the production itself. And this was a good thing done the wrong way. Then David and all the house of Israel played music before the Lord. We see that in the text. And and judging from the importance of the occasion and all the instruments that were mentioned, this was quite a production. The, The atmosphere, it was joyful. It was exciting and it was engaging. The problem was that none of it pleased God because it was all in disobedience to his word. See, we are often tempted, often tempted to judge a worship experience by how it makes us feel. But when we realize that worship is about pleasing God, we are driven to his word so we can know how he wants to be worshiped. It is hard to receive it. It is hard to receive it in our consumer-oriented culture. But worship isn't all about what pleases us. Is all about what pleases God. We can talk about vertical and, and horizontal worship for a moment, and and this is something that I've kind of been reading about, and I, I believe that we should more often, more often than not, sing songs that are of praise and worship that is vertical, from our tongue up to God, saying, saying God, you are, like declaring who he is, and, and singing a praise to him. Um, but, but oftentimes what we'll see in our life and on the radio, like whatever it may be, uh, not all the time, but, but oftentimes those things are like horizontal. They're like, hey, what, is, what have you done for me? Yes, it's good. I'm not saying never say that, like sing praise of what he's done for you for sure. But it's like, you know, we're jumping in, 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 in the house of the Lord. I don't, there's, there's songs that I could get into. I'm not going to, but this horizontal worship, when we're about like what, what he makes us feel, what the worship makes us feel is the concept of horizontal. And what we need to be more focused on the vertical. It's not about what's happening here, but it's about what's happening here. And in worship, it is all about what is here. It doesn't matter what is happening around us. That we had a uh, revision conference is a is a nonprofit organization I started uh, a couple years ago, a year and a half ago now, and um, or I guess a year ago now, uh, and we have a team of, of of ten different churches are represented on our worship team basically, and so we had a worship night on Friday, and, and Morgan, who is our uh, director of worship and production, he he said it he said it pretty simply like this. He said, "Doesn't matter who's around you." doesn't matter what's like next to you. doesn't matter what they're doing or if they can even hear you. All it is is about a connection between you and God when you're in that moment, when you're in, and you're in worship. It is, it is what's pleasing to him. It's not about pleasing others around us at all by any means. So we need to get out of that mindset. If that's you today, I'm not here to condemn you and be like, hey, you're doing it. You know, you need to shape up there and you're failing. No, it's just, hey, just look. Like we just need, we just need a, a heart check for us when it comes to worship that we give the king of kings because he deserves more. We're going to continue on in, in verse 6 here. It says, But when they came to the threshing floor of Nacon, Uzzah reached out toward the ark of God and took hold of it, for the oxen nearly upset it. Basically, they hit a rough patch. They hit a pothole probably here in Madison County, and it was starting to fall off or of some sort. He was just trying to stabilize it of some way. Uh, and the anger of the Lord burned against Uzzah, and God struck him down there for his irreverence, and he died there by the ark of God. You're like, hold up. 
why did God strike him down if he was trying to protect and save? Well, we see that the order of what is to, of, to be done and who is allowed to carry it and how it should be carried, all this stuff comes, to, comes, into, fact, uh, comes into play. Uzzah put out his hand to the ark and took hold of it. It was strictly forbidden, essentially, for him to do this. Regarding the transporting of the ark that we already read in, in Numbers 4, it says, they shall not touch any holy thing lest they die. Uzzah made a decision in a moment, made a decision to disregard God's command and to do what seemed right to him. But it was done the wrong way. And this brings me to a point. Even decisions made in a moment matter before God. That's why it's important that we are in his word daily, that we're understanding, that we're meditating on his word, that we're, that we're taking it in, we're learning it, because things happen in a moment all the time in our lives. And how are we going to respond? Not like... Uzzah, we don't want to respond like him where we respond and we just take the completely wrong path and then we get sh- struck down. Now, I'm not even, yeah, I'm not going to go into all that. <laughs> but God, God he, he struck him there for his error. God fulfilled the, the, ominous pro- the ominous promise of numbers and struck Uzzah. David wanted Israel to know the presence of the Lord and God showed up. They know the presence of the Lord. He's there, but not in the way that anyone wanted or expected. See, Uzzah's error was more than just a reflex action or instinct. God struck Uzzah because his action was based upon a critical error in thinking. What are these errors? Well, Uzzah erred in thinking it didn't matter who carried the ark. He erred in thinking it didn't matter how the ark was carried. He erred in thinking that he knew all about the ark because it was in his father's house for so long, 20 years. I mean, you'd think if something's in your house 20 years, you probably know all about it, even if you may not have done anything with it. You're probably like, oh, yeah, I know all about that. I know how to handle it. Well, it was a, also erred in thinking that God couldn't take care of the ark himself. He erred in thinking that the ground of uh, Nacon's threshing floor was less holy than his own hand. Think about that. His hand was less holy and less clean than that of mud, chaff, insects, bacteria, all the stuff that's that's on that that threshing floor. I mean, you'd think, but that goes to show that Uzzah's hand wasn't. It was it was more unclean than that of the of the floor. There's another commentary that I read about this. He said, he, he saw no difference between the ark and any other valuable article. His intention to help was right enough, but there was a profound insensibility to the awful sacredness of the ark, on which even its Levitical bearers were forbidden to lay hands. In verse 8, says, David, verse 8, David became angry because of the Lord's outburst against Uzzah, and that place is called Perez Uzzah to this day. So David was afraid of the Lord that day, and he said, How can the ark of the Lord come to me? David's anger was based upon confusion. He couldn't understand why his good intentions weren't enough. Well, God cares about both our intentions and our actions. They matter to him. How can the ark of the Lord come to me? This is what David thinking. David knew that it was important to bring the Ark of the Lord into the center of Israel's life. He wanted all Israel to be excited about the presence and the glory of God. 
because of what happened. It was that David felt that he couldn't do that. He couldn't do what he wanted to do. David's response in the rest of the chapter shows us that, that he found the answer to this question. He answered the question with the thought later expressed in Isaiah 8.20, to the law and to the testimony. To the law and to the testimony. David found the answer in God's word. And this is where we're going to find it. And David was, one, was unwilling to move the ark of the Lord into the city of David with him. But David took it aside to the house of Obed-Edom, the Gittite. Thus the ark of the Lord remained in the house of Obed-Edom, the Gittite, three months. And the Lord blessed Obed-Edom and all his household. David took it aside into the house of Obed-Edom. David did this in fulfillment of God's word. Obed-Edom was a Levite. He was a Levite in the family of Korah and Kohath. We see that in uh, 1 Chronicles 26.4. So he had these sons. I'm not going to name them all. I'll mess them all up. But this is, just goes to show, like, all these sons, they were, they were in this family. And it goes to show, I'm just showing this to you just for a, a lineage, a line of those who can carry it. And this was the family within the tribe of Levi that God commanded to carry and take care of the ark. And the Lord blessed Obed-Edom and all his household. When God's word was obeyed and his holiness was respected, blessing followed. God wanted the ark to be a blessing for Israel, not a curse. And we might say that curses don't come from God's heart, but from man's disobedience. In light of this chapter, I think that there's one thing that, I would, that I'd want you to take away. Because there is victory in this. We see it. But when God maximizes our victories, we have to guard against allowing those victories to minimize God. Just think about that. I want to say it again for you because I, I want to make sure you guys hear this. And you take it in and you understand it. When God maximizes our victories, we have to guard against allowing the victories to minimize God. It is important. We see the victories in our life and it's great to, to, to share those victories. But ultimately those victories are, are really just, they're a testimony of God's power. So we don't want to begin to worship that victory over the worship of God. We have to guard against that. When we focus on the blessings instead of the blesser, then we are tempted by two equally wrong responses. Either we forget about God and see ourselves as capable and worthy, or we begin to think of God as the one who serves my agenda rather than the other way around. But either way, whichever way it lies, God's word begins to fall by the wayside. This morning... God wants to remind us of his holiness, of, of his power and greatness. He wants us to always take him seriously, not to minimize, not to trivialize, not put God in our box, not to make him safe. But he also wants to remind us of his amazing goodness. The, the, the same God who powerfully struck down Uzzah also powerfully blessed Obed-Edom. We see two sides of the spectrum here. Same God. So what hope is there for any of us? Maybe a question you might be asking. Our hope is in the fullness the ark represented. When the author of the book of Hebrews wrote to his Jewish Christian readers, he spoke about the mercy seat. And Hebrews 9.5 says this, 
And above it were the cherubim of glory, overshadowing the mercy seat. But of these things, we cannot now speak in detail. The mercy seat. The ark was only a shadow. The name for the very top of the ark, the place where once a year, the high priest would sprinkle blood of a bull and blood of a goat in order to make atonement for the nation's sins, in order that they would not share the same fate as Uzzah. But in that same chapter of Hebrews, the writer also points us to the ultimate reality of which the ark was only a shadow. Speaking about Jesus, the far-off son of David, he writes this in verse 12. But through his own blood, he entered the holy place once for all, having obtained eternal redemption. And continued on in 15. For this reason, he is the mediator of a new covenant, so that since a death has taken place for the redemption of the transgressions that were committed under the first covenants. What are we talking about here? Because of his goodness, because of his love, God has prepared for us in a way in which we can truly know him, in a way, in a way which we can truly stand in his presence, a way in which we can truly dwell in our midst. He can truly dwell in our midst forever and ever and ever and ever. And that preparation it did not involve animals or arcs or sons of Aaron. As the worship team comes up to close today, I want to point to the fact that Jesus is all throughout this. You see, Jesus Christ has, has dammed up the powerful waters of God's holy justice. For any sinner who simply has faith in him, him and him alone, Safe in him, we can stand in perpetual awe of the rivers, power, and goodness. Jesus takes our heart of spiritual neglect and gives us a new heart of spiritual respect. He does this through his death on the cross. The very place where, like Uzzah, the wrath of God broke out against him. To be clear, it was you and I it was you and I who neglect God's word. We are the spiritually careless ones. We touch the ark. But it was Jesus who was struck down. Uzzah's death might have sobered, but it couldn't redeem. Only Jesus can do that. Jesus' death was sobering, but it was also redeeming. And unlike Uzzah, Death could not hold Jesus. He has risen and he is reigning still. I want to invite the prayer team forward this morning. And I want to invite you guys that are sitting here with me this morning. Just come to him. Come to him this morning. Trust him. Look back to him with mourning, savor his sacrifice. It is fierce and boundless, but it is oh, so, so good. If you were encouraged by today's talk, 
be sure to rate us, share with a friend, and hit subscribe on Spotify, iTunes, or wherever you stream your podcasts. Our mission is simple. Come to life, connect to grow, find your purpose, make a difference. Thanks for listening to the Life Church Podcast.